Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. We're glad you're here. Hopefully you had a fantastic Easter and General Conference weekend and the Chosen Season 2, Episode 1. And weekend. maybe 2 and 3. Yeah. Because oh, we yeah, are by their the time. odds coming out right <laughs> in a row, which we're super excited about. I thought Jesus was coming and we weren't going to have to record this video, but he didn't. <laughs> uh, well, he came in abundance, but in just different ways. All right. Sections 41 through 44, this is such a, um, if you look at the introduction to the Doctrine and Covenants, um, this kind of lines up with what one of the reasons that the Lord said this book is even in existence, to like establish this kingdom, to establish a covenant community, and, and that's what we're getting into with this. Remember last time, this is the kind of the prayer and need and situation, it has to go back to last time's lesson, which is when the Lord said, I want you to go to Ohio. And then everyone was like, okay. And then they were like, why? And then he started giving them the reasons. And he said, well, I want you to go to escape the power of the enemy. And when you get there, I'm going to give you the law and endow you with power. That's why I want you to go. So then we talked about everybody's kind of on their way. That was in January. Joseph and Emma are in Kirtland, end of January, beginning of February. You may have seen this story, know this story. They ride in on the sleigh. Together, Emma is pregnant with twins. They go right up to that store, Newell K. Whitney store, and Joseph walks right up to Newell K. Whitney and says, Newell K. Whitney, thou art the man. <laughs> and Newell K. Whitney's like, I'm sorry, do we know each other? <laughs> and he says, I'm Joseph the prophet. You prayed me here. And uh, apparently a couple of days before, he and his wife have been praying um, for answers. They've been praying to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They'd been praying for the prophet to come among them, and here he was. And they lived with them for a while. So that's kind of the setup. That's the everyone's kind of in anticipation, bated breath, with like, okay, what is this giving of the law that's going to happen? And that's kind of where we're at right here. So 41, section 41, is what we want to call preparing for the law. And the Lord goes to a man's house. His name is Edward Partridge. You may remember him from a couple times ago. Remember, he was the one who uh, went out to check out Joseph Smith's farm. I think we told that story on the field trip, but I cannot remember. I can't remember either. He's Sidney Rigdon's friend. And when he heard about it, he was like so intrigued. So he goes out and he kind of walks around the Smith farm for a while to kind of like, and when he notices how well kept it was, he was like, he's probably a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to hear because apparently prophets have nice fences so he goes to hear him preach and he is in like right away and at the end of joseph's sermon he raises his hand he's like i will now be baptized thank you and joseph's like edward you've had a long day and so have i can you get baptized tomorrow and he's like okay so that i can't remember if we told that story but he is we love him and it's just his in his parlor his little front room that they are sitting there and we learn this truth before the law is given, we get this verse, section 41, verse 3. By the prayer of faith, you shall receive my law, that you may know how to govern my church and have all things right before me. He says, I will be your ruler when I come, and behold, I come quickly. So it's almost like there's this anticipation for 
when he comes in fullness on the earth, there's going to be some similar things happening. Verse 5, he that receiveth my law and doeth it, the same is my disciple. We love that definition of what that looks like to be a disciple. And maybe how different that is than just, does Jesus love all people? Absolutely. Mm. Right? Unconditionally, his feelings will never change for people. Do you want to be a disciple of, of his? Then he says, well, then you would have to receive my law and then do it. So he gives this thing, I want you to meet together um, so that you can receive my law. And we love coming just off of General Conference, yeah. a time when we did gather together um, to receive the law, which we're going to talk about in, in just a second. But Edward Partridge gets thrown a curveball. This is like three days after his baptism. Mm-hmm. And he gets a calling in verse 9 that he is going to be the first bishop. And it says he's going to have to sell his shop. He's a hat maker. This is in verse 9. And spend all your time in the labors of the church. So right now we have full-time general authorities. And if someone gets that call, they would be like, okay, I think they're I mean, someone's going to take care of me somehow or whatever. But mm-hmm. this is the first time. And he's wondering like... Okay, what what are what are we gonna do? He doesn't even know what his job is or anything, and that's not gonna come until the next chapter. But we love that his his daughter said this about him. Um, his daughter said, um, right after this revelation was dictated, my father sold our property and realized but little from the transaction. My father's course and join. <laughs> Her daughter had a speech impediment. Okay. She said, my father's course in joining the Mormon religion and sacrificing his property caused his friends of the world to think him insane. They could not see what there was in this religion to make a man give up all worldly considerations for it. Jesus, uh, in this section, gives him a little title where he says, he reminds me in verse 11, like Nathaniel of old, in whom there is no guile. Um, Nathaniel's story you can find in John chapter 1, and it's a story of a friend getting Nathaniel and saying, hey, almost like Signe Rigdon going and get him and says, hey, I want to introduce you to, to something, to someone, and brings him along, along. And the moment that Nathaniel meets Jesus, he falls down and calls him his king um, in worship, immediately accepts him. And Jesus says about Nathaniel, oh, there is a man whose heart is so pure and is so good. And all throughout, all the way to the Nauvoo period, we're going to watch Edward Partridge. And we're going to see him as a man with, with no guile, with, with that golden heart, with somebody who just is ready to accept and embrace the Lord and anything that he wants to give him at all costs. I love when you get into 41 that it begins with the Lord saying, I love in verse 1 when it says, um, all of you, all my people, whom I delight to bless with the greatest of all blessings, ye that hear me. And I love that he's like, I'm talking to all of you. Anyone who wants to hear me, I'm about to bless you with the greatest of all blessings. And then he tells us in verse 2, assemble yourselves together. That's where I'm going to give you this law that you need. And so on one hand, you see him talking to the church collectively, right? This big group, all people assemble yourselves together. But I love that just before the law is given, at the very end of 41, he's also going to talk individually, right? He's like, Edward Partridge, 
let me show you what my law is about to look like for you. And it reminds us that the giving of his law sometimes, most often takes place with a group of people. In fact, we're gonna talk about that right now. But it's individually based. We're each gonna live that law in a super individual way, according to what our life looks like and according to the call that comes to us. And we want you to remember that as we get into this, that we're, we're gonna look at the law collectively, but we want you to remember the individual nature of that law. So this is not the first time the law is given. No, and in fact, it's interesting that you bring up that verse, that 41.1, where you just said the greatest of all blessings, and you were like, what is it? Is it money? Is it like happiness? And he's like, no, it's a law. And you're kind of like, that's not a good gift. You know, like what if I wrapped up rules for you know, Christmas one morning and everyone opened them up. So the family right, job chart. Yeah. This is, yeah, is going to be your best Christmas present. It is the family job chart. So even the heading of section 42, if you look at the very last sentence is the prophet specified this revelation as embracing the law of the church. And like a law does not initially sound like something that is very huggable, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I would not want to embrace a law. It's like, it's like, oh, it's restrictive, it's stick. It's sticky, it's, uh, you know what I mean? It's jagged is sort of what the feelings that you have toward toward the law. And, and we hope as we look through this, we can kind of see what it actually is, what its purposes are, and how an embracing of the law really is an embracing of Jesus. It makes me think of a conversation I had with my kids just this weekend. Everyone was together. And my youngest daughter, Grace, was talking about going to Angel's Landing. Have you been there? Yes, but I'm afraid to hike it. So have you ever hiked it? No, just no, the bottom. Not me either, but I it scares me. And I had said to Grace, like some of your kids could maybe hike Angel's Landing and then some of your kids maybe shouldn't. Yeah, like my Christian never should. Yeah, or He'll Grace. fall off. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly my concern. So I was, I was trying to like allow her to be an adult child and at the same time be like, let's just think through what this would look like. And you know how... <laughs> Sometimes when you're a a junior in college, you're like, my mom does not know what she's talking about. But luckily, Caleb was there. So I was like, Caleb, who had hiked it. And Caleb is the type of personality that can have permission to hike that (laughs) hike. Will you please tell Grace the importance of being super careful on this hike? And then Caleb said, told the story about how when he was going up, I guess you hold on to a chain the whole way up. I have not even ever seen pictures and I've never done it before. But you hold on to a chain and he said, the kid in front of me let go and pretended he was going to fall off with his group of friends and his feet slipped out under him and he grabbed the ground with his fingers and Caleb was like, I actually turned away because I, I thought that boy was gonna lose his life right in front of my eyes and I didn't want the memory of it. And luckily he didn't. And he crawled back and then Caleb said this, that boy clung to that chain the entire rest of the hike. And it makes me think what you were talking about before when he said, I'm I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna give you this law and the two reasons for it was to escape the enemy, right? To protect you and to endow, you, endow with you with power, to bless you, right? All of a sudden the law was gonna be a protection and a blessing in that moment. And when you realize that, when the boy in front of Caleb realized that, 
then he, he embraced that chain, right? He clung to that chain. There was no way he was going to let go of the chain because he realized the protection and the blessing was that it would allow him to go up and experience what everybody else there wanted to experience. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. I was not sad on Friday when Grace called me at 5 p.m. to say the hike at Angel's Landing had sold out in one minute flat and they didn't get tickets. <laughs> because even knowing I was like, Escalante might be better for you. <laughs> Grace, sorry. I would have let, I don't know if I could let you do it. Never mind. I like you too much. I can't even. But I really love, we were talking before we start this, this idea of, uh, as you were explaining that, him like, like just clinging onto that. I love picturing and imagining the thought of like when Jesus says, I am the law and the light. Every time I think of embracing the law, I just like, I, I want you to hold on to him mm. and he will give you protection and he will give you power and he will give you his privilege, right? If you, if you could consider the law a manifestation of, of him, it's he, he is the one you're really holding and, and embracing and clinging on to. So it's his words, right? Yeah, that's so good. But like you said, this is not the first time that this has ever happened. From the very beginning, the Lord has said, for those who would like to escape the power of the enemy, and for those who would like to be endowed with power, let me teach you and show you how to do that. You might even change um, the law to mean living as a covenant people. Is, is what you could change that to. And he's like, and, and the benefit, the blessings of covenant people, like we studied that for the past six months, right? But um, this happened, one of the first times it happened is at Mount Sinai, when God reestablished his covenant people again after their time in Egypt. People call section 42 a modern day Sinai. And as you read it, you will see very, very similar language that you find in the Mount Sinai chapters, as you'll find here. That's when God gave his law to the people. Remember when he told them, I want you to be a holy people, a peculiar treasure. I want to help you escape your enemies, right? He gave it then. He gave it again in Deuteronomy to a new generation of people about to enter into their promised land. He's like, let me give you the law again. All throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Different prophets, Isaiah will reiterate that law to a people who are surrounded by enemy nations. Um, Jeremiah and Ezekiel will teach the law again to a group of people who are in captivity. Um, Jesus reestablishes the law in his dispensation by taking them to the Sermon on the Mount. And you also see that happen again among the Nephites. Mm -hmm. Nephi goes back to Jerusalem at the beginning of the Book of Mormon to get the law for their people to help them be protected and endowed with power. So all throughout the scriptures, you have seen God reestablish his covenant people and he gives them their law, which is both the promises and the responsibilities together to enable them to escape their enemy and, and be endowed with that power. Yeah, it's almost as if it's a set of responsibility that leads to a privilege. And if you want the privilege then you have to live up to the responsibility. One of the things that I love is um, I get to teach this object lesson because David would only need one pair of these. <laughs> um, is I to think my eyes about, um, as you think about this, the law and the separate giving of the law that we all look at it with different perspectives. So I have 
um, in my life, three different glasses. I wear these when I read because I can't see. I wear these when I drive or when I go to football games or when I go to movies because I can't see far away either. And then I wear these, right, if it's too sunny outside. Depending on the perspective or the view or the lens I need is the way that I view the world. And I love that as we watch God look at his people, in Moses' time, he was looking at a people who were going to live a wilderness experience, right? That he, he was um, helping these people learn how to become. And the lens in which they viewed his law was the Ten Commandments. That was the lens that they viewed that law, which is a little bit different than the people on the Sermon on the Mount. Because right. that was going to be a, a different lens that they were going to view that law through. And then you love in 42 when, again, this law is going to be given in the lens of that generation of people who need it. And we were talking about just coming out of um, general conference is a re-giving of the law. It's our modern day prophets and apostles saying, let me give you the lens in which you want to view the law right now. Um, the same as what Moses did, the same as what uh, Joshua did, and then Isaiah did, and then Jeremiah did, and and what Jesus did. It's that same just offering protection and power to God's people. It's what he did at the very beginning. It's what he's still doing now. So you'll see the very first filling that we have in, have right here is from 42 verse 9, where the, there's that line, that ye may be my people and I will be your God. Remember, that is like if you were to summarize like the promise to covenant Israel, like that's almost like the summary line. Mm -hmm. And you'll just see language like this, about being a kingdom people, about being God's covenant people. But it starts off by saying, I want you to be my people and I will be your God with every implied promise and blessing within just that line where he's mm -hmm. like, do you want to know why I'm giving this to you? Um, this is why, so that we can be in this protective and powerful relationship with each other. And, and then throughout this, all 42 is like Mount Sinai again. Here he is saying, okay, this is how to live as covenant people. And you're just going to see like, just a, a, almost like it's a, really like you're standing there at the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's like, love your neighbor. Don't commit adultery. Um, <laughs> don't kill people. Don't kill people. Right. And it's just like a, here we are again, reestablishing the house of Israel in this dispensation. So we have a couple of examples right here at the very beginning. For example, 42, 45, thou shalt live together in love. 42, 53, thou shalt stand in your place of stewardship, a, a, a law about responsibilities. 42, 56, thou shalt ask. And then we love that in 42.61, he goes on and says, and if you ask, you shall receive. So he just is teaching them, this is how you live with each other, in relationship with each other. And this is how you live in relationship with me. We love that as you get into 42, right when he begins, he's going to talk to them about this principle of living the law and teaching the law and what that looks like. We have this picture right here that is such a great um way of understanding how to live within the law and maybe why you would want to. I once had a conversation with a friend who is not religious and he had said to me, I don't know why you live all those rules of your church. Why do you live that? Do you live it because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't? 
And I was like, no, that I don't think that's why I live them. And he's like, well, do you live them because peer pressure? Everybody else is doing it, so that's why you have to do it. And I was like, no, that is not why I do it. And um, he said, well, do you live it because of what you hope to achieve or gain or the reward that will happen at the end? But then I was like, I mean, I know there's an end goal, but it's not what motivates my day to day. And so then he was like, why do you why do you live the commandments? Why do you keep the law? Which made me have to really sit and think about why do I keep the law? And I love this definition in Doctrine and Covenants 42, this pattern that is laid out. And it says this in verse 13. Um, well, first of all, he says this in verse 12. The elders, priests, and teachers of this church shall teach the principles of my gospel, right? These principles or these laws or these commandments or this way of living, um, that's going to be taught to the people. And where is it going to come from? The Bible and the Book of Mormon, which is the fullness of the law or the gospel. That's where it's going to come from. And then he says this. First, they're going to teach them. And you're going to see that in 42, 12. They're going to teach these principles. And then in verse 13, he says, they shall observe the covenants and church articles to do them. So that's the next thing that happens. First, we're taught the principles, the laws, the commandments. Second, we do them, right? It's not enough just to know them, but we're actually going to experience them. We're going to participate in them. It's going to require a choice from us to engage in in that interaction, right? Or in that relationship with God. And, and it's interesting that it's like, this may be common sense, but it's not the law that is protective and 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 gift giving, but it is the embracing of it, the doing of it that mm. actually is, that has the impact, yeah. right? Um, and I love that it says this, as they shall be directed by the spirit. And then in verse 14, and the spirit shall be given unto you by the prayer of faith. And I love this cycle that's gonna happen. First, we're gonna be taught the law. Second, we're gonna do the law. And within the doing of the law, the spirit is going to be given. And I can remember talking to my friend later and saying, as I thought about it, I realized the reason why I keep the commandments is because I want the spirit to be poured out upon me. I wanna experience what it feels like to have an increase of the spirit or a fullness of the spirit in my life. And I have learned through experience by doing what I have been taught allows the spirit to be poured out in my life. And what does it look like for the spirit to be poured out? We love a quote by Parley P. Pratt. Because we started talking about it together and it was like, okay, someone might think, well, one of the things that living under the influence of the Spirit is, is that He will guide and He will direct and inspire, which is true. But we love this quote because it's it's like an explanation of, do you want to know what our minds think when we say endowed with power? Um, it, it would, would be look this. like this. And he says this, the gift of the Holy Ghost quickens, increases, enlarges, expands, purifies, inspires, develops, cultivates, matures. Um, it, it develops beauty. It tends to help and vigor and animation and social feelings. It invigorates all the faculties. We love that it's like it leads to a fullness of living. That's what is going to happen when you have the spirit. And 
The law allows you, um, the more responsibility you agree to within the law leads to the more privilege you would live under the Holy Ghost. Yeah, and we were talking earlier and I said, because she was like, well, why do you live the law? And I was like, oh, because when I do, it makes me more alive. And she was like, well, that sounds like YOLO to me. And it's like, oh, well then let's read that quote. And that's what I mean by that is like, because when I read the phrase that I may give you eternal life, you could think, oh, mansion and celestial kingdom or whatever. But I actually think you can experience what God calls eternal life today. Like remember, eternal is one of his names. Experience a God-like life right now, one that is enriching and full Mm -hmm. and and it's the reason that he has always given the law and i feel like we are inclined to, to that i think our spirits realize the potential of that because think about in your own life when you are faced with something where you feel like you need heaven's help our first inclination well mine is i don't know if it's yours but is to go to the temple more often to maybe we'll call a family fast outside of the ordinary uh, fast, this first Sunday fast. Or we might pray more often for something specific. We're going to start engaging in all of these things that become under the law. And as we engage in those things, what we're hoping for actually is, and I think our, our spirit craves for an increase of the spirit in that moment to increase our faculties, right? To be able to increase our abilities um, in all of those areas and our capabilities in all of those areas that we will be led or protected or receive that power that we're talking about that will enable us to live our fullest life, whatever that life may be. And according to our choice um, to live up to the responsibility of the law, opens the door for us to experience the fullness of the privilege. You'll notice as you read through 42 that there are some aspects of the law that will be worded thou shalt not and there are some that will be worded thou shalt. And and I think a great way to divide those up is to take the thou shalt not commandments and just label them misery prevention. <laughs> right? Is what they <laughs> or are protection. or protection, right? Mm-hmm. Let me protect you from these, thou shall not let go of the chain rope, <laughs> okay, or whatever, right? But then the thou shalt ones seem to be ones is like, oh, but this is where happiness actually begins to grow and where light and life begin to grow mm-hmm. in inside someone, right? And so as you look at them, you might think to yourself, oh, some of them, that's how you might divide up those so of all the ones that are in there the one of the ones that we thought we would focus on because we could have said okay let's see this pattern play out in um i was gonna say not committing adultery <laughs> but i don't want to say that one in How loving about, your neighbor or, or keeping the sabbath <laughs> yeah um, okay, right yeah. you could you can watch it um we're gonna be taught it we're gonna do it we're gonna experience the pouring out of the spirit the spirit and then we're going to try another one, right? And see if that is true. Or teach us some better way to even do that, right? Yeah. If it's like, love my neighbor, I do it, right? I'm incre- And then I have an increased capacity to do it in an even bigger and And then and I'm going to learn way. the law or the principle deeper. And right. the application is going to become right. Um, P.S. If you want one other like example of this same pattern, you can go to section 43, 
verses 8 through 16, and you will see that same pattern, but in, in different words, if you want to read that there. That thought about teaching, doing, and then receiving an increase of the Spirit, and just watching how cyclical it is as it helps us to progress and increase in the gospel, which right. is awesome. We love this one about consecration because, remember, our... Our object lesson, our subject that we were watching individually is Edward Partridge, and this is going to be his tutoring in the law that he's going to be assigned to live. Yeah. So one of the things in 42 that the Lord is going to introduce is this idea of the consecration of of properties. Now, one thing that might be helpful in understanding, because when we hear that word consecration, there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding about, about that. Um, there is the law of consecration, and then there is the way in which it w- is practiced and lived out. So the law of consecration um, is this idea of handing over my heart and my life and my abilities to God to you know to do His work. It's it's yours to give. In this particular time period, the way one way to practice the law of consecration is is this idea of of properties. Mm-hmm. So you'll see the little like um, explanation and we yeah. drew a little thing on here. And this is how the consecration of properties um, worked and lived out. So the bishop who, this is Edward Partridge's job. Now he's learning like, oh, that's what you were calling me to do. Um, people who want to be involved in that law because it was by by choice and agency, if you wanted to live this consecration of properties, you would hand over your properties and um, to the bishop, officially like deed them over. The bishop would then deed you back a particular property that you would be steward over. Sometimes it was the same exact property <laughs> that you, you deeded, right? And then it came back to you. As Sometimes it was a little bit bigger. Sometimes it was a little bit smaller. Then you would work that and any and and you would eat and take care of your family and do your things that you would do. And any surplus that you had, you would give over to the storehouse. Now, if people were in lack after everything they did, then any of the surplus that was stored in the storehouse would come back to the individual steward if they found themselves in lack. Right. So that is how that law of consecration of properties worked. Now, one of the great purposes of living that way, it was like, why would we even do that? It seems silly, was it enabled them to do these three things that are listed over there and the references are there. One, the extra storehouse surplus was then able to be used to take care of the poor and needy among them, to purchase lands for meeting houses and temples, and to eventually establish and build the new Jerusalem. That Zion concept coming back is like, how are we eventually going to build Zion like logistically? It was like, oh, here's one way. And we still see principles of that today, right? We still have bishop storehouses. It's lived out differently. Pay tithing that allows for the building of these places of worship. So we live it. It just looks a little bit different. Our our lens is different. Right, right. That's um, a perfect example now of it. Than it would have been back then. But we love that what this is going to teach us is what's at the bottom of this paper, which is what does it look like to be wholly consecrated and to be wholly sanctified and really to be wholly holy, which I love the thought of that. And we, we kind of see this process spelled out 
there. We see this consecration, this consecrated life lined out right here. But I love what we learn about sanctification as we get into 43. Yeah, so 43, um, this is, uh, um, the law has kind of been given in 42. And 43 has got an interesting background where you have somebody who comes in claiming to have revelations again. Remember this happened with Hiram Page back in New York. What's well, happening again in Ohio. And the Lord teaches, reteaches that pattern of revelation. But then he's almost like, okay, now that I have your attention, let's talk about why the learning of revelation is the revelations or the commandments or the law from the prophet is so important in the first place. Why should we be concerned about when I'm being deceived? And it's like, well, because it's this pattern. Like you want to make sure that you get the law taught to you so that you can observe it so that you can have an increase. That's why we're nervous about like deceivers coming in because of what the purpose of it is. And he starts to go through what, you know, um, what the end result of that actually looks like. I love when he starts talking about, and he says in verse nine, and thus he shall become instructed in the law of my church and be sanctified by that which ye have received. And ye shall bind yourselves to act in all holiness before me. So you're going to watch the sanctification process start taking place through the law. And that's, that's this thing that we talked about. You're going to teach these principles or the law. Then you're going to do those things. And then the spirit is going to be given. And it's the spirit that sanctifies us. That's the job of the spirit is to sanctify us. And I love in 43 when it teaches us, you're going to see in verse 11, one of the things that allows you to be sanctified is you're going to purge out the iniquity, which is among you, right? That's part of the sanctification process is this purging out or becoming pure. And then don't skip 10, which is, it just mentions that in other words, is in as much as you do this, glory shall be added to the kingdom which you have received. It's that idea of being endowed with power of mm. that increase, that, that Parley P. Pratt quote that, yeah. that you were reading. And then I love in 16, it's going to it's gonna tell that a little bit clearer where it says, you are to be taught from on high, sanctify yourselves, and you shall be endowed with power is what's going to happen. So there's going to be the protective part of the sanctification process. And then there's going to be this power giving part of this process. My favorite definition of sanctify anywhere in scripture is actually found in Joshua chapter three, verse five. And this is the moment right before Joshua and the people are going to experience this amazing miracle. Um, he says, tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders among you. But if you want the Lord to do wonders among you, he tells them, then today you have to sanctify yourselves. That's part of the process of these wonders happening in your life. And if you look at the footnote for sanctify in verse five of chapter three, it says this, make yourselves holy by ritual washings and proper behavior. And I love this thought that sanctifying means being made holy and how that happens is by rituals and behaviors that we go through in our life. It's by living the law, right? That's what sanctifies us. And because we are sanctified, then the Lord can do wonders among us. And I love the thought of that. When you look at these three boxes at the bottom of this paper, you are going to see the word consecrated, sanctified, and holy. If you do a study on holy in the Bible dictionary, it's going to talk to you about things that are set apart for a sacred purpose. 
Um, the word holy and the word consecrated and the word set apart can all, they're all synonymous. They can be swapped out. So when you see a temple and it says holiness to the Lord, you could also read it as set apart to the Lord, or you could read it as consecrated to the Lord. Any of those would be true statements that those would all be true. And it's, oh, sorry. Oh, well, and I just love the thought of that process of consecration and sanctification and holiness are so intertwined. Yeah, because where's this? I was looking for this line from um, Joseph that he said one time. Um, okay, listen. Now for a man to consecrate his property, wife and children to the Lord, and it's nothing more or less than to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, Visit the widow and the fatherless, the sick, fatherless, the sick and afflicted, and do all he can to administer to their relief in their afflictions, and for him and his house to serve the Lord. In order to do this, he and all his house must be virtuous and shun the very appearance of evil. That's not the quote I wanted, but what an awesome <laughs> one, right? But I do love where it shows this purpose right here. I thought there it was uh, um, where Joseph says, I don't have any property to consecrate, but I do have myself and my family to give. And he's understanding that idea. And when we're when so when you talk about I'm consecrated, it means I'm handing myself over to the Lord so that He can sanctify me. It's like why do I want to be holy sacrifice, holy consecrated? Sacrifice. <laughs> why do I want to be holy consecrated? Because I'm handing over, almost like that loaves and fishes concept. Mm. It's like here I'm giving you my life so that you can protect it and endow it with power so that you can sanctify it and make it holy. And it's that thought that we started out with of just embracing Christ or embracing the law of his gospel is what is going to allow that sanctification to come into our life. And that thought about the protection and the power that comes when we choose that is so good. I really love seeing this story play out with Edward Partridge several years later, where he first is introduced to this concept of what, of living in this covenant way. And then to see what happens a couple years later, and it's like, oh my gosh, look what has happened to your heart, sir, after mm. after living yes. and embracing the law. It's, we'll get into the story, but it's a couple years later, Edward Partridge is going to move out to Missouri um, and to be the bishop out there. And there is the mobbings that happen out there. And, and when there was a mobbing that happened, Edward Partridge actually turned himself over to the mob and will tell them, preserve the rest of them and, and take me instead. Which you can see that Jesus is growing in his heart when he says a line like that. And you love that he's the bishop, right? You just think of a, the bishop looking over all the people and saying, do you know what? Don't take them. Take me. This is what is um, he wrote down in his journal. I was taken from my house by the mob who escorted me about half a mile to the courthouse on the public square in Independence. Then and there I was stripped of my hat and coat and vest and daubed with tar from head to foot and then had a quantity of feathers put upon me. And all this because I would not agree to leave the county in my home where I'd lived for two years. I bore my abuse with so much resignation and meekness that it appeared to astound the multitude, who permitted me to retire in silence, many looking very solemn, their sympathies having been touched. And as to myself, I was so filled with the spirit and love of God that I had no hatred towards my persecutors or anyone else. 
That to me is evidence of a man who was both protected and who was endowed with power. In this case, endowed with the gift of of forgiveness mm. and perspective that came to him as you know as a result of the way that he had been living and the truths that he had been embracing. Oh, that's so good. I love something that Brigham Young said in February of 1862. He said, 30 years experience has taught me every moment of my life must be holiness to the Lord. It is the only way I can preserve the spirit of the Almighty to myself. And I just love that thought of the law allows us to walk in holiness. It allows us to consecrate our whole life to the Lord. It allows that sanctification to take place in us. And because of that, it preserves the spirit of the Almighty in us. We, we have that just abundance, that pouring out of the spirit to increase all our faculties and capacities and, and everything that we could enjoy in this life that comes simply because we're clinging to the law. And then all of a sudden you want to go back to that very first verse that we read in 41, right? Which says, um, the, um, God, ye whom I delight to bless with the greatest of all blessings, ye that hear me. And I just love the thought. If we knew what would come from living the law that we would realize it is the greatest of all blessings. At the bottom of this page, we just kind of talked about what maybe that path of sanctification and consecration and holiness looks like. And we just pulled out some of the words that you see in these chapters where it talks about repent and hearken and treasure and rest in him and become faithful. Those are the words that you would find there. And it kind of just reminds you of that hike to angels landing, right? That that moment and that thought of like, don't turn away from him, from that what which is gonna keep you safe and hearken to him and treasure what he gives and rest in him and be faithful to him. And that's how you're gonna experience the promise. Yeah, that promise of both protection along the way and the gift at the end, mm. right? To live in a higher, to be just more alive, not in the YOLO way, right? But to experience <laughs> eternal life today. Yep. So good. So okay, y'all. Good four chapters. Yeah. See you next, See you week. next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.